So my dad passed away in 2015. We weren't talking and it took a month for his family to track me down. Before I ever knew he was gone, I started hearing from him in heaven. It consumed me. How is communication with the other side even possible? I left my corporate gig, studied with spiritual teachers on every coast, and worked with my angels to figure out the answers. Today, my mission is teaching you how to raise your vibration, shift your thoughts, trust your intuition, develop your unique spiritual gifts, and connect with your loved ones and angels on the other side. Friends, when you have these tools, life really does become heaven on earth. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jancis. And friends, you see a guest here. I'm going to intro him in a moment here. But first, I wanted to let you know, I've been wanting to do a solo episode and really intro you into this new season of the podcast. You know, here on the Angels and Awakening podcast, we don't really do seasons. We do two episodes a week the entire year. But I really really feel like we're stepping in energetically to a new season of the podcast. And I will put together a solo episode, but here's what I want you to know. Over the last year, as things got really chaotic with COVID, I started taking and just kind of accepting more and more interviews from people who came through press releases, right? And people who came through PR agents. And some of those resonated and some of them, I'd get into the interview I hadn't spent enough time vetting the person, right? And I felt really bad about that. So this comes full circle today. And I'm so excited for you to get to meet this guest because what we're doing now in this new season of the podcast is only bringing on people that spirit brings to us. And so this book crossed my desk And Spirit was like, had me on my email. I'm not normally in my email. And was like, this person, you have to interview this person. This is a must. And the alignment, the energy was all right there. But I want you to meet this wonderful soul. And before we dive into this, I want you to know the story is tied into 9-11, but it's really the story of coming into spiritual awakening through through just this amazing series of events. So sorry for this long introduction, Kushal, but we have today with us a beautiful guest, Kushal Kushoshi, and his book is called On a Wing and a Prayer. The tagline is beautiful too, but I didn't write it down. Can you tell everybody what the tagline is? It says the spirituality for the reluctant, the curious, and the seeker. Brilliant. So I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here. Thank you, Julie. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Okay. So your book touches on 9-11, starts out with 9-11. We're here in the week of the 20th anniversary. And you are in one of the towers as the plane hits. Was it the 103rd floor? No, I was on the mezzanine floor of the North Tower when the plane hit. Okay. What does that mean, mezzanine? 
So for those who are familiar with how the old World Trade Centers were, there used to be a transportation hub in the in the belly of the towers, and then you would come up and then you would come to the mezzanine floor to okay. walk out to the street level. Gotcha. So there was like a little shopping area, and there was like a an area that was shared between two towers. Yeah. Uh, where the lot of thoroughfare would would cross uh, every day. But you felt the shake of the towers, correct? Well, there was a loud, a deafening noise, and clearly it felt like something of a massive scale had just been hit, you know, on, on the building. It, it was it was ghastly in that moment. You know, you couldn't really tell what had happened. It was a big sound, big blast of a sound, and then followed by like a, a very sinister hiss. Uh, because perhaps it it let off some steam pipes. I don't know what exactly it was, but it was very um, it was very severe in that moment. Yeah. So you are kind of walking towards an area with a lot of people, and the security guard stops everybody and is like, "Go back," you know, like just go back. And this guy, you turn around, and this gentleman, Banka, looks at you, and he's like, "We gotta go." Like, we got to get out. And you're like, it felt like you were just so following vibrations in that a moment of just like what the security guard was telling you did not resonate whatsoever. But what Banka said was like, I got to follow this guy. You're so perceptive, Julia. I have to tell you that. But but yes, that's exactly what happened. You know, and the security gentleman was was well-meaning because... It was raining splinters and, and and insulation bits and cement chips and it was like a, a, a very very um, apocalyptic like gray haze outside the building. It was constantly raining after the plane had hit. So he was like, "No, no, just stay inside and and everyone gather in the in the center in the core of the building. Those who work here go upstairs because it's not safe to be here to step out." And I was I was just. It was anyways too much for my my senses to to process in that moment. So I was like, what should I do? Should I go back? Should I stay? And then in that moment, you know, I got this instruction, says go, just leave. I don't think you should go back in, just just bolt out. And, and that's what I did. Yeah. So you're running outside and you say you're the last man out because you end up running towards this boat that's leaving the dock and getting out. Like you jump onto the boat, like as it's leaving, tell everybody about that. So (laughs) it was really like a moment. I, I clearly remember if I close my eyes, I can actually picture this because I was walking towards the East River in, in an effort to move far away from the World Trade Center. And I hear this like very scary rumble and, and suddenly people start screaming and I look behind and the, the North Tower is, is collapsing. And that that smoke and dust, that cloud that you may have seen on some of the very disturbing footage of, of 9-11, it's, it's just coming down, down the maiden lane. It's just coming down the street between, between the tall buildings. And it's just, it's just enveloping everything that's coming in its way. And I started running away from it. And I don't know where I was running. I was just running in the directions I was walking earlier. And there was a, there was a commuter ferry that was pulling out of, of Pier 11, the, the little slip there. And it, the gangway was pulled in and was ready to go. And 
probably the captain saw me come. He, he just waited for a second and I just leapt onto the boat. That's it. The boat pulled out. That that cloud of dust and smoke just missed me by like, you know, skin of my teeth. And it just, the entire city skyline was was just gone. It was disappe- it disappeared in that haze. And, and I was just on the, that was literally the last ferry that left the city that day. Because after that, all the modes of transportation just completely came to a standstill. I think one of the most human parts was you said after that, you know, as exhausted as you were from that day, you just wanted to see your girlfriend at the time who becomes your wife, Alak. And she's not in the same state. She's, I think, in one of the Carolinas. And so there's no mode of transportation to get you to see her. So you hop on a Greyhound bus and you travel down. And I was like, oh, that was just like, it's going to make me cry now. It's just so human. Yeah, I had never traveled on a, on a bus. And I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do in that moment. And I just felt like, let me just go far away from this. I just didn't want, because there was a, there was a weird light in the air. Um, there was smoke and, and all that. And there was a, where I used to live, it was very close to downtown Manhattan. So there was this, this burning stench uh, that was in the air. And I, it just made me very nauseating, very uncomfortable. I had to move as far as I could. And so I decided to go, but I couldn't rent a car. I couldn't find a train. I couldn't find an aircraft. Everything was grounded. So I found a bus that was that was just going, you know, I don't even know how long it would take. It was just going south. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to jump on it. And yeah, I, I got on it. And that was perhaps the longest silent bus ride I've had of my life. Friends, it's September, and I wanted to pause here for a moment to let you know that we're keeping enrollment open for the 12-week Healing Your Inner Child course, which started September 6th. This course is one of my deepest courses that I've led, and what it does is take you on this incredible journey of understanding yourself more deeply by understanding your ancestors and how their journey ties in with yours. You can sign up for this 12-week course at any time through my website, theangelmedium.com. Three more quick things. If you'd like to develop your spiritual gifts, you can join the upcoming class of my Angel Reiki School. If you'd like to book a session with me or one of the healers on my team who've gone through my Angel Reiki School and are now part of my online Angel Wellness Center, you can do so on my website. Lastly, the book will be coming out in November and it'll be up for pre-sale by September 9th this month on Amazon. It's called Angels and Awakening, just like this podcast. Friends, your support helps me produce this podcast. Thank you so much for being our angels by listening, sharing, and supporting this show. So this is all 
we, we haven't kind of told who you were before 9-11. You're this college student who miraculously got this great interview with Goldman Sachs. You get in and you're killing it, right? Like you are amazing at just what you do on the stock market. I don't understand how all of that stuff works, but you're amazing at it. And so even after 9-11, these people around you are telling you, hey, you're on this trajectory to go as far as you can go. And spirituality kind of steps into your life in a way where you're like, I want to say not completely open to it at the beginning. Reluctant. Is that the reluctant in the title? Yeah, reluctance came and struck me at many occasions uh, on my journey. But yes, that was perhaps the first um, encounter with reluctance where there was a part of me that came close to, you know, there, there was now this enthusiasm to to respond to this new lease of life that I had just achieved, I received. And I was grateful for that. And I'm like, oh, now now's the time to finish all the unfinished business. You know, I have to do that and finish this and, and go after it with all the might I have, you know, because who knows? But at the same time, there was a part of me that, kept saying, but what's the point of this? Mm-hmm. You know, there was, if something like this were to happen again, and if you're not so fortunate the next time, it's all, who cares? Like you could be very successful and you could have just, it would have all ended yesterday or, or when, when that thing happened. So what's the point of this? I and mean, there has to be something more to life than, than just chasing big bonuses or, or trying to, you know, go up the ladder, uh, the corporate ladder, if you will. There has to be something more. I did not know what that was. But there was this, this, if I may say, a stifling dichotomy at, you know, that was in my head at that time where a part of me wanted to go after it with all the gusto. And then the part of me was just putting the brakes on it, saying, but what's the point? So it was like driving with the foot on the gas pedal and a brake at the same time. And it was not fun. Yeah. Sometimes they call that like two opposing truths. Two things can be truth at the same time. And when that happens, it almost is like it cancels the energy out. So then you're not going anywhere. But you have this beautiful story of how your wife kind of pulled you into meditation. You're at this event and you're still, I love the reluctance piece. And I got to tell you why, because there are people who are a hundred percent in, and I understand those people because that's how I have been since I was a little girl. And I don't always know what to say to people who are reluctant. Right. But I I was like, Oh, this bridge is so much. And I got to tell you, everybody, this book is so good. You have to get this book. It's, it's out September 7th. Right. Well, it's it's out for pre-order now, so you can out get for pre-order. Oh, perfect. So pre-order this now. So you're in this meditation center, you're trying to meditate, and, and you're at this event where there's a speaker as well, and you look over and you see Banka. That's right. It's amazing. So he kind of steps back into your life. Tell us about that. You know, it's like and again, as you read the book, I don't want to give you any spoiler alerts, but as you read the book, our dynamic will become more and more clear. Uh, our relationship will become more and more, it'll come to life. But 
it was that moment that, that for the first time in my life, I had actually meditated. I had tried to meditate before. And, and hence this reluctance which you caught on to, Julie, which is, I tried to meditate, but I, I could never meditate because the minute I closed my eyes, I had all these thoughts come up. I had all these to-do lists pop up and there was constantly, I always remained at the surface because I, that's what my training was to, in that alpha culture, that's, that's what I was trained to not waste a single minute and, and constantly pursue, constantly chase. And so it was very difficult for me to, to disassociate with that noise and, and go deep. And when, um, when I'm that day um, in New York and at the first time I meditated ever, yeah. it just felt like a, a piece of a missing piece of puzzle was kind of fell into place. I, I found something that I'd perhaps been looking for. Um, and I remained reluctant because I wasn't sure what, whether this was really for me, whether this was actually, maybe I slept off. Did I really meditate? Maybe I slept off. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, can I sit still for 20 minutes? Perhaps I was too exhausted. And, and you know, so all these thoughts kept coming and, and, and right. But there was a lot of clarity. There was, there was a, a part of me that was like, no, this is perhaps the road uh, which you go down because it might have some answers that you're looking for. You know, this void that, that you're trying to fill, um, you know, this, perhaps here is the answer because everything you've tried and done has been a distraction. You know, I tried to travel. I tried to switch jobs. I tried to do this. I tried to, I tried to do so many things, but it proved to be a mere distraction. I kept coming back to the same space of void. And then I meditated for the first time and, you know, it's Rishi Ravi Shankar. And, and in that moment, a lot of things opened up. And one of the gifts that came my way was, you know, I, I reconnected with Banka, you know, the, the same guy, the same voice who said, hey, run out of this building. So it was, yeah, it, it started, I could say it, it really was a page turner. It was a new chapter of my life. And I think you could look back at it, right? Because you, you kind of walk through this book and I love the way that it's written because I was dying to get to the next piece. Like it's written in a way where it's not completely synchronistic that you're telling the old whole story like back to back it's like you dive into this new piece and you're like but wait I want to find out what happened here and so you talk too about how you traveled all over I mean after 9-11 you were really searching for what is the answer so you and Alak you go all over the world you're traveling all over and you keep saying I didn't find it here. I, you're turning over stones and you're looking for what's going to fill you or make you alive or complete you. And like, you keep being like, the, I, I'm bored after a while. Absolutely. That was the, that was a distinct feeling I remember. It's like, okay, this is great. But you know, it's like you are in this, you, you could be in the most beautiful place, but you have a nagging worry at the back of your head. Let's say, you, you go out to enjoy, uh, you know, a Broadway show or something, but you're worrying about the interview next day. You know, you're worrying about a, an assignment that's due next day. It's like that. You're in the most amazing place, but there's something in there, which is, it's there's, there's a dissonance there. There's just creating a little bit of 
but this is not it. No, no. But this is great. I'm loving it. It's the most enjoyable, you know, a treat for senses. But this is perhaps not it. Maybe something else. So not knowing what that it is, I, I would come back and plan for the next. I would take it to the next level. I would, I would raise the bar and say, okay, fine. To that extent that to, to face my own fears and everything, I even, I even learned how to fly a plane. You know, because I thought that would give me some thrill. You know, it was just a mad chase for, I don't know whether you call it adrenaline or, or fulfillment, whatever it was. It was just, that's what I knew in that moment to do. So let's kind of take it to the point where you've come into spirituality, you meet Guru Dev, explain him to, because I don't understand completely how this works like in Indian culture. So Guru Dev, explain like who he is and how he works, because he kind of feels in the book like a pope, right? Because Catholics just honor the pope so much and they'd go see him anywhere. And Guru Dev has this amazing following where no matter where he goes, like he's just got all these people that come to listen to him, just thousands upon thousands of people. Explain how this works. I don't know how to explain it in words, but I think he's just the most unassuming, childlike friend who is there for you no matter what. You know, it's I've never felt with him that, oh, he's someone on the pedestal and I'm someone down here. I've never felt like that vibe with him. He's He's so friendly, so approachable, and, and so much childlike. You know, it's just, there's so much innocence in his presence. And what, what I, I cherish the most is how the state of mind, you know, is when we're around him. And I guess that's why people want to be around him. I don't blame him. But, you know, it's, there's, never, there's nothing like, a, you know, there's no parallax. There's like what you see is what's, you know, and he... He leads by example. He's a very simple person. You know, he's, he started teaching breathwork, yoga, meditation in his 20s. And, and he's, he's now in his 60s. And he goes around the world always uplifting and, and helping people. And, you know, the amount of work, the spectrum of work he does from, you know, mediating decade-long conflicts between guerrillas and, and state in, in Colombia to you know, helping people like me just, you know, meditate, you know, teach how to meditate. So there's a huge spectrum of the impact that he's, he's created in, in last 40 plus years. And I just was fortunate that I, I got to, to know him. And, you know, in, in Indian culture, there, there's this concept of, of a guru, right? And I was very averse to it. And that there's another part of reluctance that comes there. You know, I always thought that I don't need a, a person, to tell me what I need to do. I, I can read a book and pick it up, right? Yeah. And then I realized that, you know, it comes in different flavors. You know, my understanding of what a guru or a, a master was was completely different than what, what Guru Dev was, what he personified. And I realized that, you know, we don't make big deal about having a, a coach to to teach us some sport or a, a teacher in high school or college to teach us science and art, but something as complex and as esoteric and as, as having to, to navigate the maze of your own mind. When there's a teacher who's there, who's done it, been, been there and done that, we, we scoff at it. And I, I, I was in that, that phase of reluctance. I was like, no, no, I, I don't want this. But as I 
got to know him better. And that's what I talk about in the book. You know, I, I, I strip myself and put it out there how, you know, what were my reservations? What were my doubts? What were my trials with, with this whole process? Kind of judging, being very, uh, you know, guarded about this whole process. But, you know, your experience at the end of the day is your experience. Nobody can talk you in or out of it. And, and that was like my, my journey with him because once I started realizing that, hey, I really feel so good around this person, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, there's, there's an unconditional, he, he really doesn't care. He doesn't want anything from me. He's never asked anything of me. And he's constantly giving, he's modeling a behavior that I, I aspire to for someday. And so that kept me going deeper down the rabbit hole. Let's take a deviation real quick. So yeah, he never asks anything, but you always ask to help him in the book. And I was like mind blown when you talk about the robes. He comes in to town one time and he's like, could you wash these? You know, and it's his clothes, it's his robes. And you're like, yes. And then you pass it off to somebody else who who's very trusting, who really wants to help. And the robes turn pink because there's one red mixed in with all of the white robes. Right. And so you're bleaching them, you're doing all of this. And this is really when you're learning to trust the universe and that the universe is going to bring you what it is that you need. And these robes, so so you're like, we've done all we can. We've tried everything we can. Like, I'm just going to have to tell them these robes are ruined. And you go back to look at the robes and they're pure white. I'm still scratching my head how that happened, but you're right. You know, this is, and these are the subtle things that books can't teach you, right? That, that balance between doing everything and then letting go at some point of time, you know, putting your best effort, putting your best foot forward, doing everything you can, and then rest in that effortlessness. And that is something I, I learned from Gurudev. It's just like, you do the best you can, but but at some point of time you have to have to let go. And I, uh, uh, the, the type A person that I was, I was all about effort. What what do you mean? Let universe take care of it. You are in charge of your own life, aren't you? What what do you mean letting some something else come? I, I didn't believe in all that. So you know, teachers have different ways to to teach. You know, some slow students like me need need to go through some experiences like that and, and say, oh, this is what it means by letting go. And to know that, you know, I couldn't have done anything. I, I, I did everything I could, but I couldn't have done anything. I really ruined his entire wardrobe for the, for the travel onwards. And, and then I come back and, you know, my friend comes screaming and says, the, the clothes are, are normal. They've, they've turned white. What happened? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me I've stepped out. And, and so that was a moment of kind of so many such instances in my life, so many such instances. Um, I know you haven't finished the book, but the, the book is sprinkled with such instances where universe kept coming again and again, reminding that you feel like you're in control, but, you know, hold on to your reins. Just, just take a breather. Yeah. <laughs> 
let's talk about that. And we call those angel stories, right? Where like the universe comes in and we could call them all different sorts of things. But I just want my listeners to know that's what we call angel stories, right? When the universe, source, God, our angels come in and just there's no other explanation for how things happen sometimes. So to your point of control, this was a big lesson for you in your life of what, how did you say it? Like, do I just, do I really want control? Because how much control do we really have? Guru Dev, I I think says at one point, like, you don't control your thoughts that come in. You don't control your feelings. You don't control when you feel hungry. You don't control when you have to go use the restroom. How much control do you really have in your life? Are you just looking for the sense of control or do you really want control? And I thought that was very, very profound. Yeah, that was a lesson you know, I learned along the way, which is we just want the feeling that we are in control. You know, we feel, oh, I took this decision, I made this choice, and, you know, I was in control. But was it really that you made that choice or I made that choice because on, on my own volition? Or is it because that, that universe skillfully choreographed and orchestrated all the everything around you in a way that you could not have but made that decision? In that moment, you feel, oh, yeah, you know, I made that decision because you know, this was the most logical thing to do. But why did why was that the most logical thing to do and not anything else? Could universe have a role to play? And I'm not saying there is no role for free will. I mean, life is a beautiful combination of, of free will and, and destiny, right? There is a tremendous amount of free will, but that is not just that. You know, it's recognizing that there's also something higher on the other side which kind of takes over when your efforts end. That's, that's a beautiful, you know, beautiful junction to, to be at and beautiful transition to watch out as it plays out. Yeah. Do you feel like that's what humanity is struggling with right now? Is this, do we really want control? Because how much control do we really have? Or we, do we just want that sense of control? Because I, I see it in so many ways, how everything that's happening right now with global warming, it it feels really heavy. And I feel like we all want to have this sense that there is control. But was there ever control? Oh, you're you're absolutely right, Judy. I mean, that's definitely one of the things that that humanity is struggling right now. I don't want to say that's the thing, but but yes, I mean, we, we, we really want, we really want it figured all out whether through science or through anything else we know, we, we re- our problem is, or I, I don't want to say our, I want to say, put in my perspective, my problem was I wanted it all figured out. I wanted a roadmap. I wanted a, a clear direction where I was ha- headed, like a, a, a three-month, six-month, five-year plan of my life. But it is so undeterministic, right? And, and that's what I, I realized. That's what I learned, that... You know, Forget about, and like how you said, what Gurudev says, you know, forget about controlling parameters around us. We can't really control our own thoughts. You know, when, when certain thought comes, you really can't say, hey, just stay away from this. You know, I don't want to think about it. It becomes even larger force if you try to resist it. 
is it not? So to 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 be in control at at one level is is a fallacy. But to recognize that I'm in control yet I'm not is is something that it's a happening. If you if you try to figure it out, if you try to put an effort towards it, it probably kind of runs away from you. So my, you know, but yeah. when you connect with with that that space within, when you, you know, from for me it was breathwork and meditation that allowed me to do that. Then I I kind of as a happening it came. You know, I, I realized that I learned that yeah, I mean, I'm doing as much as I can, and then there's a there's a place to do, and then there's a place to just be. You know, it's just. And the life is a combination of both. That I loved that part in the book too. And I think that that's where we're at as well. Like we have to kind of find acceptance in that we're not going to have complete control in this life of any one particular thing, but that doesn't mean that we don't take action and take action steps forward. And so you talk about this kind of beautiful balancing dance that you kind of do of flowing between taking action in your life and on the free will things that you want and being in this beautiful synchronistic dance with spirit, uh, universe, source of just allowing and knowing and kind of surrendering to what universe wants. And that did not happen naturally to me, you know. I want to mm-hmm. I want to spell it out. Like lucky are people like yourselves to whom these things is part of their their fabric, you know. I think it's part of all of our fabric. But for you it was something that was very obvious from childhood. For me it was shrouded by the life events. It was shrouded by my own patterns and conditioning. And I had to go through certain things for me to shed that, to, to see what, what really was in there, kind of shining all the time, except it was covered by these impressions and, and, and whatever I was carrying all this time, right? That conditioning of mind that we talk about all the time. So it's not like, one person is special over the other. And all of us ha- have it. Some, some of us need some life lessons to realize it. That, oh, yeah, this is what it is. You know, this, I've been all this time, I've been chasing my own tail. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's in there. I think that this book is phenomenal read for anybody and everybody should get this book. I think that it's especially profound for a lot of women. I probably get 10 emails a week from women who are like, yeah, but how do I explain this to my husband? Right. And he doesn't understand and he doesn't get it. And I kept reading this book thinking, this is what they need. Like they need to give this book to their husband because this is exactly like the way that they they could kind of open to it. So did you have times where you kind of put spirituality away? Because the other thing that was coming to me is sometimes there's people who come and say, Julie, I was doing so good. I was doing so good at my meditation and my breathing for like six months, a year, and then I fell off. And it's almost as if they hold so much shame or anger, or I don't know if those are the right words, at themselves for falling off, that it's hard for them to like step back in. Did you ever have any of that? Or can you speak to that at all? You bring a very, um, very relevant point, in, in, especially in the current, current times. I don't get as many emails every day, but I do get people talking to me about that all the time. Hey, I was 
doing this, but now I was, you know, using this app, but now I'm, I, I've just fallen off the track. And I talk about it in the book, which is my boredom along the, along the path, right? That anything that becomes a routine can, can become boring. But what makes this boredom or this feeling even more pronounced is when you have to put an effort to do it. And, you know, one thing that I'm observing as this whole meditation breathwork, it's proliferating everywhere. There's tons of apps. There's so many things out there. This, I mean, compared to when I started back in early 2000, there was nothing there. Consciousness has really evolved to, to make it all so available. But at the same time, I also feel that a lot of the things that are out there they require effort. And this was why I could not meditate before I learned the sky breath. Because whatever I was doing was a matter of effort, right? The meditation technique required me to, to not think of something or focus on a sound or concentrate on a ray of light. or All these things to me were frontal cortex activities. You know, It created some sort of wanting or having to do it. And whenever there's having to do it, the boredom comes in very quickly. And then when you, of course, you, you fall off, it's not, it's human nature to feel, you know, guilty or feel that, oh, I wish I, I had continued. And going and paying money to not go to a gym is the same thing. You know, how is that any different from, you know, deciding to meditate and not being able to meditate? But it's just anytime when there is an effort involved, as like going to gym or wanting to sit, there is this, this thing is a very natural behavior, I would say. But what really worked for me is that the path that I stumbled upon is the path of effortlessness. It's a path of least resistance, something that really connected with me. That, you know, I'm anyways putting so much effort in every other walk of my life, in every other aspect of my life, whether it's work or it's, you know, showing up to take care of people, whatever it is, I'm just, it's effort, effort, effort. I don't want to put, add one more thing to my list. And so this was where you just sit and breathe that there was and breathing also is sometimes guided so there's no thinking of this in fact the thoughts are part of it you you want to bring let all the thoughts come in so you know that bring that sense of coherence bring bring it and just drop it so and there is no meditating it's just breathing and then that breath work takes your mind to that space where you effortlessly sink into meditation so there is no doing involved you just all you need to do is just take out that time to to sit and once you've tasted it you know you don't even have to make time you don't make time to brush your teeth you don't make time to you know wear good clothes you, when you when you know that when i do this it's going to help me or it is helping me it becomes so natural yeah yeah so guru dev is he the one that developed the sky breath method Yes, yes. He's the one, um, you know, it was in, I think, 81 when he went to a period of silence for 10 days and and he cognized the sky breath. There's a Sanskrit name for it. It's called Sudarshan Kriya. It's actually a very beautiful word, you know. Su is proper and darshan is vision and Kriya is just a purifying action. So it's like through the action of your own breath, you get to, to see who you really are. That's you know, amazing. To, to, to connect with yourself. And it's abbreviated as sky breath, but but yeah, that's what it really means. And 
He's been teaching that, I don't know how many countries now, more than 156 countries all over the world, um, millions of people, but yeah. I want to come, if you guys ever come back to Chicago, you talked about Chicago once I'm in Chicago land. I want to come see you guys and I want to try it. <laughs> I would love for, for, for you to try it and, and even meet him one of these days if yeah. when travel opens up. But now a lot of the SkyBreath courses, all of them now happen, happen online in an online format over Zoom. Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I facilitate some of them myself. You know, it's, it's something that changed my life. So I kind of paid forward. I volunteered my time to, to, you know, teach this breath work to people. So yeah, anytime you or the readers want to, if you want to do a, a class just for you and your readers or, or your listeners, I mean, yeah. we could do something like that anytime. Oh, let's connect offline. I would love that to yeah. share it with the podcast. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Kushal. So I got to the point in the book and it was making me laugh where, well, and I have to say too, the universe just totally lined this up. So what I was trying to say at the beginning, and I hope I said it right, is that with the craziness of COVID, I was just having people on and then I'd get into conversation with them and I'd be like, oh man, I, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go here and like the podcast and like, wow, I really did not vet this person like good enough. So the universe has been coming in to say, no, Julie, like you actually have to read the books before somebody comes on and you really have to get to know them and don't just bring on anybody but bring on who we want you to have on when you're a mom and you have kids going back to school there's like a lot of hecticness with getting them off to school and school starting and we've got construction going on in the house right now so I had meant to sit down and read the book and I hadn't gotten to yesterday. And then you had something come up. So we delayed one day the interview. And through this fluke thing happened, I ended up in the ER yesterday. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I I could meditate, I could turn on, you know, and watch a show. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do any of these things. Spirits kind of calling to me. And I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? And they're like, read Kushal's book. <laughs> so I'm like, that's why I ended up in the ER, wasn't it? Not, and they're like, yes. I wish there was a more down. pleasant surrounding for you to enjoy the book. <laughs> yes, no, it was perfect. So the nurses are like coming in and out. They're really slow yesterday. It took like five hours to get in oh and out. Goodness. But here I am and I'm like dying to like get to the next page. And there's some places where I'm crying and there's some places where I'm laughing. But you talk about, let me see if I can find this part. It was just so funny what you said. Can I read just a couple of lines? Of course. Yes, please. Okay. And is it Shankara? It's uh, Shankara was someone who looked at reality as a dream and he had distilled his thinking in, I'm going to not pronounce this right, Advaita, which is mean like the, the science of oneness. Advita. Okay. Oh, non-duality. Science of oneness. Love this. Philosophy. This entire manifest world is an illusion, he would say. I'm not agreeing either way just yet. However, I certainly have had experiences in my life where my dream felt real and my reality felt like a dream. Looking at Shan Kara's dash for safety, one of his critics sarcastically asked him, why are you running Shankara? Isn't the elephant an illusion? 
Oh, because he's running from an elephant. And he goes, if the elephant is <laughs> if the elephant is an illusion, then so is my running, responded um the smart-witted Shankara. I was like, wow. Like that really was profound. Yeah, that, that whole chapter, I think it's called the real virtual reality. And that was, you know, it's something we are so into this life that we don't pause and, and ask what's, what is real? What, what is it that, you know, after? And I realized that, you know, of course, this is Gurudev's teachings, but I, I learned that what we see is only a very small part of what is out there. And, you know, this philosopher, this old, this is from, I think, 15th century, this philosopher Adi Shankara, this was his, he, he propounded this whole science of oneness, you know, the non-dualism thing, everything is one, you know, that's, we are all made up and, and, and quantum physics is catching up with it saying everything is a wave function, right? So this is, this goes back to that, in that philosophy, it says we all are, are made up of this, this one thing. And it's like, you know, the, the, the floor is different from the, from the doors, different from the wood in the, in the chair, but it's all wood at the end of the day, you know, so that, that's that philosophy. And then he's running from an elephant and a mad elephant is chasing him. And somebody says, but isn't this an illusion? You know, why are you running? And he says, yeah, it's an illusion, but so is my running. <laughs> and it, it, it makes you to, to pause and think that, you know, this whole life, like in my life is all 40 some years have just passed like that. You know, some nostalgia, some memories, some, some things remain, but I can't go and touch them. It's, it's like a dream, right? The dream I just woke up this morning from last 40, a long dream. And, and the future is not here. It's like an elusive dream, you know? What if, what is to say if this moment could, could be a dream? You know, could this be a dream? And what if we are, we are in this, this matrix, you know, we are all in and just it's constantly changing things around us. What is dream and what is reality? Is there, is there something more than, than what we don't know? Do we really know what we don't know? It's so fascinating because I feel like over the last couple of years, what I've learned actually from starting this podcast is that spirit pulls back layers and layers and layers of ourselves through our experiences. And it's like, no, I don't have to be this. And no, I don't have to be this. And no, nothing is outside of yourself. It's all just what you are and what's within. And so I saw that so much through your book, though, too, like searching through traveling and buying different things. Uh, you, you're so good at what you did. You could have bought anything. And it was through coming into breathwork and meditation that you really found yourself. And I actually don't think you give yourself enough credit in this book of just this incredible soul that you are. I loved what you said about Guru Dev and the ashram that he was like standing outside. And I don't know if he was in meditation, but he had this vision come into him. There wasn't an ashram yet, but right. he had this vision come in of like, okay, here's where the kitchen's going to be. And it's going to feed. I don't know if you said thousands or millions of people every yes, year. That it does now. Millions. Yeah, that come through every year. But he had this vision. And, and you said, too, that you're intuitive, right? Like you had to rely on it with what you did as 
I don't know what people on Wall Street do. I don't know if you're like investment baker or whatever, but something kept telling me just to tell you that you have it too with this. And just like Guru Dev had those visions, I feel like you have those visions too. And I just see you as being this beautiful soul who still has so much I don't want to say work as in like work, work, but just like mission here to reach the lives of so many more millions of people. And I'm just so excited to get to know you and thank you so much for just taking the time to be here with us. Thank you, Julie. It's, it's, I love how this conversation is. I could be talking to you all day. Yay. It, it doesn't feel like I'm meeting you for the first time. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. You have to buy this book. This book is an amazing gift too for others. Keep it on your Christmas list too or or buy copies to give out at Christmas. Or if you have somebody in your life who's struggling with how do I step into myself more? Wow, this book is just such a a beautiful gift. Kushal, thank you so much. Let's stay on after this. I want to touch base on um, how we could kind of bring some of that sky breath meditation or breath work to the podcast, but thank you for being here. Tell people how they can find you and everything that you do. And then we'll put all of those links in the show notes below. Absolutely. My website, kushalchoksi.com, my first name and last name, probably not the most easiest to to spell, but you'll get it in the show notes, of course, in the link. There you can find the pre-order link to to the book. I've also kept uh, the list of upcoming meditation workshops that I'll be facilitating. It's there. And there you'll have a link to my email, my my social media handles. You know, reach out to me. Tell, please tell me how you like the book and just keep in touch. That's fantastic. And it's K-U-S-H-A-L for anybody who's wondering. And Shosky is C-H-O-S-K-I, right? C-H-O-K-S-I. KSI. I'm sorry. Okay. So we're going to put those in the show notes and make sure that we've got that correct for everybody. Yay. We will be back with another episode and some breath work. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. Beautiful souls. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your people about it and share it on your social accounts. Friends, we're truly here to serve you. When I went through my spiritual awakening, there wasn't one book I could read or one place I could go to for all of the answers. I really had to piece them together myself. So what I did for you was create programs that I wish I had when I was awakening. For those who are seeking these same answers, I created a program called the Angel Membership with so many benefits. It walks you through 12 months of spiritual awakening with your angels and helps you to awaken fully yourself. You see, awakening isn't a one and done thing. There is a process to awakening and this 12-month program walks you through it alongside your angels. In the angel membership, you also get access to a small group of peers to go through this experience with you. You get live access to me twice a month and so much more. For those who want to serve humanity by working as healers themselves, but don't know what their gifts are or where to start, I developed my Angel Reiki School, which opens you to all of your God-given spiritual gifts. 
teaches you how to use them and how to start a business for yourself. Students who go through both my Angel Reiki School and Angel Membership Program for at least one year are eligible to apply to be a healer in my online Angel Wellness Center and work alongside me. Friends, I touch on all of this and teach you how to connect with your angels in my new book titled Angels and Awakening. Yep, just like this podcast, the book is available for pre-sale starting September 9th, 2021 on Amazon. Friends, your support helps me produce this podcast. Thank you so, so much for being our angels by listening, sharing, and supporting this show. When you leave a five-star positive review, I enter your name into a monthly drawing to win a free session with me or an Angel Reiki School student. This month's winner is in the show notes. Now, here is a mini Angel Reiki meditation and visualization with your angels to help you lift your vibration and keep it that way the rest of the day. Friends, I want you to start by taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out. to see yourself surrounded by angels. I want you to feel their warm, radiant, loving presence. And I want you to see yourself. It's December 15th, 2021. I want you to see yourself looking healthy, feeling healthy, mind, body, and soul. I want you to go inward and feel that you're so proud of yourself and all that you've been through, all that you've done, all that you've accomplished in 2021. And you're enthusiastically looking forward to 2022. Friends, I want you to connect with God, universe, source, energy, and just take a moment to give thanks. Give thanks and gratitude for all of the blessings that have come your way and all of the blessings that you stand here right now in faith knowing that they're on their way to you. Friend, as I lead you in this, your angels want you to ask God, Universe Source, to show you what it wants for you in your life. See the big picture of what God, universe, source wants for you. I want you to pause and just allow the words, visions, feelings, or knowingness to come to you. And friend, when you connect with the other side, they will only give you positive, loving messages. So just take that moment right now. What is it that God, universe, source wants for you in your life? Allow yourself to be open to it. Allow yourself to see it, hear it, feel it, get a knowingness of it. And now your angels 
want you to ask God, universe, source, what is the next step I should take? Again, pause and allow the words, visions, feeling, knowingness to come to you and remember they're only positive, loving messages. What is it that you see, hear, feel, or get a knowingness of when you ask, what is the next step I should take? you to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and I want you to feel all the love that is surrounding you feel yourself lovingly surrounded by your angels friends they are guiding you directing you protecting you and they're giving you signs to validate to you that you're not walking this journey alone. Allow yourself to believe the signs that you see. Allow yourself to follow the callings of your heart responsibly with faith. And allow yourself to feel the loving presence of your angels and your loved ones as they guide you each and every day. Friends, I love you, they love you. Open up your heart to all of the unexpected blessings that are on their way to you right now.